keep your Bibles open to Judges chapter 3. We're going to use them some. But I want your attention for a few minutes. Let me set the, the foundation of the sermon because if you miss this, you'll miss the whole truth tonight. By the time of the judges taking place, a whole generation has passed from the time that the Jews had, or the Hebrews had gone in under the leadership of Joshua into the Canaan land. You have to understand it's been 25 to 30 years from the time that Jericho fell until Judges chapter 3. They have, the, the Hebrews have left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've been in the wilderness 40 years. They've gone in and conquered Canaan. And 20 to 25, 30 years have passed. A whole generation has been raised not knowing the struggles the former generation came through. Children have been born and are now adults. They've heard the stories, but they only know the prosperity of Canaan. They don't know the struggle of the wilderness. They don't remember the plagues. They know nothing of it other than stories. God tells us something very interesting in Judges chapter 3. Look at verse number 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. Even as many of Israel as had not known the wars of Canaan. Now look at this. Only that generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war. And at least such as before knew nothing thereof. In other words, there was a whole generation that knew nothing of the wars that it took to even conquer Canaan. They didn't understand the war and God leaves five nations in Canaan for that period of time to prove this new generation, whether they would serve the Lord or not in the face of opposition. Say, what were those nations? Skip down to verse number five. And the children of Israel dwelled among the Canaanites. Who are they? The Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Doesn't say anything about the mosquito bites, but uh, but uh, all, all the 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 Ites brothers there, uh, but the Hittites, the the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Bible says something very interesting here. God left them there for a whole generation later to learn to war with, to teach them. War, because this new generation had no battle experience. He left them there to prove whether these Hebrews would live right or not in their generation. Now, I'm going to say a few things here. I thank God I'm an American. I do. I thank God for the land in which I was born. I was born, raised, and going to die uh, uh, red, white, and blue. Amen. Uh, I may die sooner than I want and not early enough for others, but uh, I, I get that. 
I'm proud of America's past. Oh, I didn't say everything in America was good. I didn't say everything in our past is good, but I thank God that we were founded on biblical principle for Christianity, for the purpose of the spreading of the gospel. I don't care what the uh, revisionists of history are writing about today. Tomorrow is not Indigenous People's Day, it's Columbus Day. It's not a matter of uh, trying to rewrite history. It's about Columbus coming in 1492, landing here, discovering the new world. It doesn't mean there was nobody here. Obviously, there were people here. Now, <clears throat> we have to understand that uh, I believe America is the greatest country on earth, and I'm very thankful for it. In America... Uh, we often hear the statement made, and in some ways I, I don't disagree with this statement, that the World War II generation was the greatest generation. Books have been written by it and different things. I'm not sure that you could point to any one generation and say it was the greatest, but I will say this, the World War II generation pulled us out of a lot of trouble. They're a bunch of poor Depression-raised kids grew up to fight and go against the Nazis and the professional uh, armies of Germany and uh, Italy and Japan and others and whooped up on them. Bunch of country boys went over there and said, watch this, y'all, and, and took business into their own hands. Amen. Uh, there was a story has been told that one of the West Virginia soldiers said, I don't know what this big deal about Hitler is. If we just wait outside his house and he goes out in the middle of the night to go to the outhouse, we can take care of this. And I'm not sure that that's a true story or not, but I understand that. Amen. Uh, our, our men were not trained as professional soldiers. They had anywhere from 12 to 16 weeks of training and went to go fight professional armies. That's it. They grew up fighting for their life. They grew up fighting for the next meal. They grew up walking the train tracks to find the coal that had fallen out of the coal cars to go heat their homes with. They would walk the, the, the streets and the lanes and the tracks in the woods to find greens to eat. I know the stories. My grandfather would, uh, had a, had a muzzle loader and found out that a glass marble was the same size as a 45 or a 50 caliber muzzle ball. Didn't have the money for, for, for bullets, but he'd put a glass marble in there and go shoot rabbits. Uh, people became inventive on how to survive. We now live in a digital push button, don't offend me generation. We live in a generation, if you disagree with somebody, quit judging me, generation. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to slap somebody. They really don't want me judging them, that's for sure. Uh, in the World War II generations, we had kids wanting to be adults and trying to get into the army at the age of 14 and 15 years old, and some did. At the age of 14 and 15, they illegally got into the United States Army and went across to fight the Japanese and the Germans and others. And now we have adults who are wanting to be kids and play video games all day long. 
How did we get here? What happened in America that brought this woke, sissified, stupid alphabet soup generation that we have? I can tell you what it is. We've not learned a war. We have not learned to war. The very thing that made the World War II generation great, listen to this statement, is what that generation did not pass on to their children. The generation of World War II raised the hippies in the hell no we won't go to Vietnam generation. Their kids were the ones that wouldn't go to war. Can I tell you why? I can tell you why. They're the ones that said, I never want my children to see this, so I don't want them to ever face this. Uh, let's bring these dictators to our country and teach in our colleges so we'll never have to fight them again. Right. Those are the people that trained the Clintons and the Pelosi's and the others. You see, they did not pass on to the next generation war. They said it's too tragic. We don't want our children to face it. And yet we find in the scripture that God said, I'm going to leave five nations in the land of Canaan, in the land that flows with milk and honey, so that the next generation can learn to war. I'm going to make some strong statements tonight. Hang on. You don't do the next generation a favor by not teaching them to war. I didn't say to fight, I said to war. I'm 56 years old. I've hit, shut up. I've I've never really been in a real fight, fist fight in my life, but I've been at war for a long time. I hit one person one time because they were in the middle of a brawl in Chicago in D T or in C Teen Church, and I had a girl that had kids laid out everywhere and taking college girls by the hair, bashing her head into metal chairs. And the guy said, somebody do something. And I clocked her right behind the ear and she hit the floor flopping. <laughs> I said, somebody better cuff her because when she wakes up, she's not going to be real happy. That's the extent of my fighting. And it was to create peace, not war. It wasn't because somebody said something to me. It was the only thing that one understood. And by the time they got the cuffs on her, she was not real happy. But we won the war. Amen? Now, wait a minute. Let me give you three thoughts tonight. Number one, until the devil is put away for good, there's always going to be an enemy. May I say something to you? <laughs> I love you, but we have to realize something. Not everybody does love you. Not everybody loves me. And we know not everybody loves God. And if there is a devil, he's going to hate truth. He's going to hate righteousness. He's going to hate the word of God. And he's really going to hate churches that get people away from him and closer to God. Amen. That means this. If we're doing right, the devil's going to be not happy with us. By the time I think everything's going good, I, I get ready because I know it's coming. And guess what? When you're under attack, at least you know you're going the right direction. 
Every once in a while, a battle's a good thing because it means I'm headed the right way. I know I'm putting the hurting on old smutty face. That means I'm going to get another lick in. means I'm going to load up the clips and come unscrewed and keep on pulling the trigger. Amen? The enemy does not stop. (laughs) I'm going to read what I wrote down. The enemy does not stop because you put your head in the sand and hide. Just because you hide from it doesn't mean the battle's still not there. You can refuse to believe that it's there just because your head's stuck in the dirt, but it doesn't mean that the battle's gotten any better. Several years ago, uh, I was soul winning and ran into somebody and they, they asked me to go make a visit. I went and visited a man and won him to the Lord. Uh, it was a man who fought in World War II. There was a, uh, a movie made about him and this group. It was a group of guys that got uh, left behind the, the enemy line. There was five of them that survived. He was one of the five. Uh, harrowing stories. Just unnerving and I mean, for I think three days, they, the, these men hid in, in behind enemy lines, had, had soldiers stepping on them, looking for them. Just an unbelievable situation. And this man got saved. Amen. I remember when the word came that he had passed away. The family called and asked if I would go to Arlington and at the National Cemetery and do his funeral service at Arlington. What an honor. There was more brass there, Brother Harry, than I knew existed. There were people there that I was told later, I'm not allowed to tell who it was. They were, uh, he was, he was one of the most decorated people in, in World War II. I didn't know that. I just knew he was lost and needed to get saved. Now, can I tell you something? Just because people put their head in the sand doesn't mean that the battle's still not going on. Well, I just want to protect everybody. Sometimes the way to protect them is to make them strong enough to fight. To learn to war. There will never be a time when you don't need to be vigilant against your enemy, the devil. As a Christian, there will never be a time this side of heaven where you will not need to war. 1 Peter 5, 8, don't turn there, I'll read it to you out of the King James Bible. That's the only one there is. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. May I say something, the devil isn't going after the strong, he's going after the weak. You see, when you put up enough resistance to him, he'll back away. Now, he'll try to peck at you from time to time, and he may not come at you, but he'll come at those around you. Your enemy may not be attacking you now, but he's there. Hang on. Uh, I've learned that the battles in the ministry come in waves. Brother Hiles never told me they were tsunamis, but they come. (laughs) And it seems like you, by the time you get your breath, here comes another. By the time you get your breath, here comes another. 
And I wish I could tell you that our church is never going to face any battles. If we don't face battles, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do. That's, that's the fact. Luke twenty two thirty one. Jesus was talking to Peter and he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Does that sound like fun to you? <coughs> Folks, if you're living right, <laughs> we have newer Christians here. A preacher, I thought once I got saved, all my problems were going away. You listen to the wrong people. <laughs> Matter of fact, sometimes after you get saved, you get more problems, not fewer. Because then you're putting up with your family that doesn't understand that you got saved. And may I say something? I'd rather trust in God than trust family any day. My family doesn't understand me all the time. Shut up. Remember, I know your family too. <laughs> Now, wait a minute. Uh, I, I didn't say that your family's always going to understand you or agree with you. But guess what? I'm not here to please my family. I'm here to please God. Amen. You see, if we'll obey that book right there, we don't need to worry about who we impressed. We're just supposed to follow the who wrote it. Amen. Uh, we're, we're so concerned about what our family thinks that we're not concerned about what God says. And there comes a point in time where you have to do war. Now, we have to understand something. As long as there's a devil, there's going to be war. Number one. Number two. This one's going to hurt. We cannot get tangled up with the world and win the battle for the Lord. We can't get tangled up with the world and win the war. Look at Judges chapter 3 again. Look at verse number 6. Look at verse 5. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites and Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Notice there's no period there. There's a colon. That means the statement continues. And they took their daughters to be their wives. And gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot, forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam in the groves. What happened? These Hebrews, for 25 years, let their kids grow up with these enemies and allowed them to be friends allowed their children to marry them and brought their, the, the enemy's children into their homes and their children began serving their enemy's gods. They befriended them instead of teaching them to war. Their children became friends with the enemy. I'm going to make a statement here. This is one reason I am so against public education. Your children's influences in future are at stake. We can teach them it's wrong what they're teaching you all you want, but they're making friends with people that believe what's being taught. 
They make peace and treaties with friends instead of battling with an enemy. Well, bless God, I'm glad that when I went to the public schools, it was still bad, but I took my Bible to the school. I remember in seventh grade or eighth grade in my science class, they said, we're going to talk about evolution. I said, oh, no, we're not. We're going to talk about creation. Mr. Heron, my science teacher, said, well, you think you got the goods? I said, I know I got the goods. I got the book to tell us. He said, all right. And for two weeks, I had the floor in science class. I did nothing but teach Bible for two weeks in a, in a science class. Had an invitation, had, had three people saved, one of which uh, lived down the street from me. Johnny Wilds and his family came to our church. Mom and dad got saved, joined our church, got, all of them got baptized, became one of my best friends. Amen. Say why? After two weeks, I don't know if the teacher was an infidel or a Christian. He never did tell me. But I do know this. After our two weeks' time was over, he said, okay, we've passed evolution. Let's go to the next subject. Say why? Because some eighth grade kid had enough guts to get up and, and use the Bible. Now, <laughs> I'm glad I had that experience, but I don't want my, didn't want my kids to have to go through that. But can I tell you something? They went to a Christian school and had to, had to battle their way through Christian school too. Did you know Christian schools are filled with sinners too? Just because they go to a Christian school doesn't mean they're a good Christian. And just because they're your kids doesn't make them good either. They got you for parents. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. We've got to be careful that we don't get wrapped up in the world. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see something. And I don't care whether your battle's at work. I don't care if your battle's with family. I don't care if the battle is spiritual. I don't care if the battle is political. I don't care what the battle is. This principle applies all the way through. Now I want you to notice something, what God says here. Look at verse number one. Thou therefore, my son, that's talking to Christians, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Huh. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, what are, what's the next word? Endure what? Hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, everybody look at me. Does that sound like it's going to be good? Enduring hardness, does that, that means endure hard opposition. Fierce battle. He said, endure it. Why? Look at verse number four. No man that warreth, what's the next word? Entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. And he may please him who has chosen him to be a good soldier. Now look at me. God tells us you're going to have to endure hardness. How do you do that? Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. The word entangled literally means to braid or to tangle yourself with. It's kind of like when you pull your Christmas lights out and then you throw them away and buy new ones because you don't want to untangle them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
it's ladies like when you braided your daughter's hair, you take all these strands of it and tie it in knots and keep it going, you know. It's all intertwined, but it's all tangled up. And God says, don't get tangled up in the affairs of this life. We take this life way too seriously. A dear friend of mine used to say it this way, don't take life so serious, you're not going to make it out alive anyway. You know, we, we fuss and feud over some of, the, some of the craziest stuff. We get so concerned over some of the silliest stuff. Now, I understand major disease, but just because your nose is stuffy doesn't mean you have to go to the emergency room. Just because you coughed and spit up some green stuff doesn't mean you're sick. It means you got snot in your, in, your, in your gizzard, amen? I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you what it's not. Uh, uh, just because uh, your kids get a, get a little fever doesn't mean that the, the, they're going to die. God put fevers in there to cook out the bad stuff. Having a fever is often a good thing. If you can't have a fever, you're going to be very sick. God made it to where your body temperature would rise and fight that and burn it off. Everybody doing okay? Now, let's not get so wound up. Well, the kids are sick. Okay, the kids are sick. From the time they're born till they leave your house, one end or the other is always running. I'm telling you, they're going to be sick. When they start cutting teeth, they're, uh, it's earaches, it's ear infections, it's sore throats, it's bronchitis, it's uh, hoof and mouth disease, it's this, it's that. I mean, they just their tolerances are down because they're going through a lot of trauma, a lot of growth. As their bones are growing and it's stressing their bodies, there's a lot of things that take place in those little bodies. And uh, <laughs> you've got to understand something. They're going to fall down. That's why God built them so close to the ground. My grandson's seven, eight months old. He's starting to pull himself up. I watched him the other day on FaceTime. He pulled himself up and then... And I, my wife went, oh, I said, he's fine. He's too close to the ground to get hurt. He's on carpet. Give it up. He's not going to hurt himself. He might scare himself, but he's not going to hurt himself. He said, oh, preacher, yeah, rub dirt on it, it'll be all right. Don't, don't give a rip. But we get so concerned with the affairs of life. Can I tell you a, a secret to a happy home? Leave work at work. Amen. When you walk away from it, walk away from it. Amen. If you work from home, close the door and don't touch it. Amen. Don't visit it. Don't check the emails. Don't check the Twitter accounts or the... Uh, whatever accounts i don't I, I don't do any of that so i don't know but let's not get so wrapped up with it that we have to live work at home uh, i told someone today we need to be a thermostat not a barometer Amen. we're supposed to set the pace not be judging it all the time not inspecting it all the time set it leave it and go on uh, when <laughs> don't take this the wrong way but when i walk away i walk away now, the phone rings, I'm there. I'm in the moment, but as soon as I hang up, I'm back to doing what I was doing. Usually it's, hang on, I'll call you back in five minutes. 
Okay, here we go. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I'm not kidding, uh, especially this time of year, amen? Now, wait a minute. It happens that way. It really does. Last year, my sister-in-law called me when my brother-in-law ended up with pancreatic cancer, and he was going to die. I had a man out. I was talking to him. I was counseling him. I was working with him. Matter of fact, it was Brandon Guy who had a two-year-old boy that had cancer. We were out squirrel hunting. My sister-in-law called. I said, hold on. I walked away from him. I talked to her for a while. My heart was crushed. My heart was broken. But Brandon didn't need me to be crushed and broken. I said, what'd you do? After I hung up, I went back, and I encouraged him. And we shot some squirrels. Amen. See, but, but you just, yeah, I know what I just found out. But me stopping life over that wasn't going to fix anything. I could help the one I was with. I ended up flying to Texas and helping my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And then I went back, preached his funeral. I get it. But life doesn't revolve around that one emergency. When my mom was sick and died three years ago. There were others that needed help, and we kept helping. I did three funerals in five days, preached church in between there, and preached church the day after the third or fourth funeral. I planned a funeral 40 minutes after my, my mom died with another family that I was doing the funeral for two days later. By the time I got home and sitting on my going home, Mrs. Diener called and her husband had just passed away and I'm helping her and I haven't even helped my own family yet. Say, but preacher, but we were able to help them all. It didn't take the pain away, but you have to do it uh, bit by bit. You see, we get so wrapped up in the affairs of this life that we just want to give up. Well, news came, preacher, your mom died. What are you going to do? I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Amen. You say, why? Because my mama would have come back and slapped me upside the head if I didn't. When we get entangled with the world, we lose focus on who the enemy is. When you start getting intertwined and tangled with the affairs of this life, you no longer have a good beat on who the enemy is. There's one advantage of being colorblind when you become a hunter. I can see things in the brush somebody else can't see. Amen, Brother Aaron? You say, why? Because to you, the colors are entangled. To me, the patterns are not. The color doesn't matter to me. I can see the pattern change. And I don't let it get entangled in the, uh, in the woods. I can see a deer coming out of the woods like that. Somebody will be with me, where, 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 right there, where, where, where. Now don't ask me to find the mustard in the refrigerator, can't find it. But I can see that deer from 300 yards away, trust me. Amen? <laughs> it's called man eyes, amen? When we get entangled with the world... We like the people and the things of the world, and they no longer become our enemy. 
There are certain people I don't read or study in the world because I might like them. Some, there are some uh, liberal preachers. Uh, let me rephrase that. I don't read liberal preachers. They're likable, but I don't read them. Amen. Say why? Because I don't want to be one of them. Amen. When somebody changes in their ministry and they start changing direction, I get rid of everything of theirs prior to the change because I don't know where along the path they started making changes. And I don't want to end up where they are, so I get rid of it and don't allow it to influence me. Say, what is that? I'm not going to entangle myself with the affairs of this life. Because I want to please him who hath chosen me 43 plus years ago to be a good soldier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm glad I'm preaching the same book and the same gospel I did 43 years ago. I haven't changed one thing. Not at all. I haven't changed on soul winning. I haven't changed on our personal responsibility to tell people about Jesus Christ. That's why yesterday Brother Juan and I were out and came to a door, talked to somebody, and led a 20-year-old man to Christ. Say, why is that, preacher? Because I have had that responsibility my whole life. Why change now? Everybody doing okay? I heard a preacher a couple years ago say, well... Uh, I read through my Bible this year for the first time in a long time, all the way through in one year. It was on the radio. I had to turn the radio off. I was about to jerk it right out of the dashboard of my truck. I, I literally said, Lord, I feel sorry for his people. I feel sorry for people whose pastor doesn't have enough character to read through that book every year. Everybody doing okay? Uh, I'm sick up to here with, unfortunately, making visits sometimes. Because I'll go to people's homes that visit our church, and I heard it yesterday. Brother Juan, you and I both heard it. And I hear it almost every week of my life now. I got a letter from you, and you came to visit me? Yeah. Lady told me yesterday, she said, I visited five churches. One of them, I was there. I wrote a check out for tithe. I had to leave the service early, so I left my tithe on the, on the, on, on the chairs. She said, I never got a letter, never got a call, never got a visit, but they cashed the check. That broke my heart. That, that literally broke my heart. Those kind of preachers give me a bad name, but I want to give them a bad name. I'm going to outwork them, amen? Uh, Judges chapter 3, turn back there. I got to hurry up here. I got to crash land the plane on my third point here. Judges chapter 3, look at verse number 2. Only that generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Verse 8, Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. 
when we get entangled with the affairs of this life and we lose focus on the enemy and we start entangling ourselves with them and we don't fight the enemy, we join the enemy and ask them to be friendly with the, with us, and the Bible says then, then we're dealing with God being upset. I don't know about you, uh, my dad's 84 years old, I don't want him upset with me. But I really don't want God upset with me. So, number three, and I'll finish quickly. Every generation needs to fight their own battles. And they cannot rely on other generations to do it for them. You are not helping your children, you're not helping your grandchildren by protecting them from war. My son Jeff is in the Air Force. He'll be shipping out to Jordan in April. Have you seen what's going on in Israel and stuff right now? Do you know who their neighbor to the east is? Jordan. He'll be as close as Hagerstown or Winchester to the battle. Say, preacher, does that scare you? No. He's been trained to, to war. He knows his job. Do I like it for him? No. But every generation needs to learn to stand on their own two feet. When you have 30, 40, 50 year olds living with mommy and daddy because they can't get their own place to live, we have a problem in America. The failure of the greatest generation was them not wanting their kids to struggle. I hate to tell you something. Let your kids struggle. Make them struggle. You don't have to have a bad attitude, but they're not going to be strong without struggle. Well, I just don't want this for them. Well, you might not want it for them, but guess what? It's going to happen anyway. I love my children. You know that. I love all three of my children. But when Josh and Ruthann lost three babies, they had to struggle. When they were fostering and had one near adoption and two others that they were working on and the state pulled them away, they've lost six children in their 10 years of marriage now. My heart breaks. But that struggle's been good for them. It's made them strong. When Mindy and Michael lost twins a couple years ago, my heart hurt for them. I've got five grandbabies in heaven. God's allowed us to have one, amen? That's not too bad. Now, wait a minute. That's struggle. Mindy and Michael stood here. They got married. We had a great wedding and just a joyous time. Three months later, Michael's mom died at 52 years old. Had to go back and preach her funeral service. Help Nathan. Struggle wasn't good. But it's been good for them. Oh, Nathan just got remarried here a few weeks ago. Yeah. (laughs) He made the same mistake twice. You see, failure of the greatest generation was that they didn't want their children to struggle. So let's give them everything. Let's pay their way through college and let's make it uh, to where uh, we buy them cars and pay for everything for them. And we don't want them to struggle. Oh, no, 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 struggle. 
My dad, my brother is three and a half years older than me. He got his first car. My dad looked at me. I was 12 years old. He said, son, you want to get a car when you're 16? I said, sure do. He said, good, start, start saving money. I started mowing grass and shoveling snow and mowing grass and shoveling snow and raking leaves and chopping wood and doing whatever needed done. A 16 year, actually, when I was 15 years old, just before I turned 16, I bought my first car, 1966 Mercury uh, Comet. Had a 289 and went to go pick it up, and I couldn't even drive it home. I was 15, and I didn't have a license. And in Ohio, you don't drive at 15 even with a licensed driver. You don't even get behind the wheel of a car till you're 16. Oh, I was mad. My brother got to drive my car home. Sickening. My dad said, by the way, you don't just pay for the car. You've got to pay for your own car insurance. And you've got to pay for your own gas. Whew. You know how many yards you got to mow to do that? That's a lot, man. Thank God I had parents who taught me to war. Because as I've gotten older, the wars have gotten a little easier. The battles don't, but the wars do. You see, the next generation needs to learn from our successes, but they also need to learn what failure is. Did you know it's only failure if you quit. Did you know we didn't win every battle of World War II? We lost a lot of battles. But we won the war. Just because you lose a battle doesn't mean you failed. You may lose a battle, but you don't have to lose the war. And every generation needs to understand they've, there's success and there's failure and there's failure involved in every success. Amen. Well, quit judging me. Well, then get off your do nothing, go do something. Amen. It's that simple. God left five nations in the promised land to prove to the younger generation 25 years later whether they would serve God or not. The trouble is they entangled their life with them, became friends with them, married them into their families, and changed even the God they served. Maybe we need to learn to war.